podcast listeners down to our weekly message recap. I am Scott, Associate Pastor of North Star Community. And I am Teresa, Co-Pastor at North Star Community. We are recapping the message from April 14th. If you weren't here, it was one of Teresa's message messages. Um, and we have... Um, well, we've been on a we've been on a long winding series now that's led us in a few different places. That started with talking about boundaries and what is our responsibility and what is not our responsibility. We've talked about uh, that led us to talking about wisdom. Where do we receive wisdom? Because that's a part of becoming a responsible person. And then we've talked about maturity. Um, and I think the maturity conversation flowed out of the conversation about wisdom. And that has led us, I think, do you want to jump in? Did I miss any movements? I don't think so. And I think that's just taken us to sort of, to me, this message was a footnote um, to nuancing the concept of maturity. And we're talking about childlikeness in this message. And what led us here was your message last weekend where um, we, we, we did talk about maturity and we talked about it in the sense that what we often perceive as being mature or what we hold to be an ideal of maturity. You did this whole demonstration, and we talked about it in the podcast last week on the board of what does it mean to be mature? What would it take to get there? And in the process, I think what we discovered in terms of looking at people's real actual beliefs, not what they're supposed to believe necessarily, not what the Bible says necessarily, but what people actually believe when we put that down on on paper, so to speak, or on the whiteboard, what became really clear is that 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 what they believe about maturity is impossible. Right. Right. And I right. think you said it would take. I think what you said last week is is you'd have to be more than Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. Um, in order to become mature, according to what our group uh, on on this particular weekend said, they actually believed. And so I think a lot of times what what you and I do is, uh, or what what bothers the the two of us is when we've set a a version of life for ourselves, when we hold to a version of life that isn't attainable. Right. Because that just leads to frustration. It leads to acting out. It leads to anxiety. Um, It leads to all the kinds of things that might cause a person to use. Right. Or to have bad boundaries. Right, right. Uh, which, again, boundaries create relational problems. They create faith problems. Uh, they can be using triggers as well, all that stuff. And so it's very, I think it's very important to both of us, at least it's always on my mind. How do we craft a version uh, of life for the faithful that they can actually do? Yeah. So that they can, you know, I think, again, I, I know this is particularly important particularly important to me, but I want people to feel like a faithful life is possible. I don't want it to feel like it's just out of reach. Because if it's just out of reach, mm -hmm. then why even try? Yes. And I think also because we both also believe that it is completely attainable and is not out of reach, um, which is why I think in that message two weeks ago, maturity Really, when I was doing the message, I had quotes around the word because the point really wasn't about maturity. It was about how our own idealized, unrealistic, 
um, and often shame-based beliefs about who we should be if we're going to be a good Christian causes us to um, think of faithfulness as a way that is not attainable. And I don't know why that bothers you so much, but uh, I heard you say, why even try? But the reason, one of the reasons it bothers me so much is uh, because I think it leads to a lot of denial and lying, <laughs> you know, because if that's what you believe, in order to feel comfortable about being a faithful person, you're going to have to get awful, um, awfully unclear about what's really going on with you. And that sometimes leads to us getting hypercritical about other people and judgy. So I just don't think it takes us anyplace good. That's so interesting because you you feel like when you have unrealistic expectations for what faith looks like, it creates an incongruent person Yes, who not only um, isn't faithful, but actually is kind of faithless because right. it creates... Um, it, it it forces you to do things that are counter to your faith in order to look like you're faithful yes because you're because your view of what faith is is so unrealistic but you want to look like you've got it yes and i just think that's just it, it's just a waste of good energy just let's just talk about what it means to be faithful and, and what what bothers me about it i think is that it seems so hopeless you know, yeah. like when it's when um, when faith is presented so unrealistically, it's hopeless and defeating. Whereas you're looking at it and saying um, it could be that, but what it does for other people is it uh, turns faithful people into dishonest people. Yeah, which is um, I think true, and and I think right, and and scary, and. Um, but isn't it interesting how this this is a point that I think particularly bothers both of us for completely different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so interesting because I think it might have to do with something we don't talk about in terms of things that we learn because we don't want to use insider and outsider language. So <laughs> it will remain unspoken of. She's talking about the Enneagram, which uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, look it up. But uh, we won't go into that right now. You do have a really good video on whether it's a tool of the devil or not. That's but right. that's a you, whole nother subject. You can check it out on our website. Um, <clears throat> so, yes. So that conversation, um, this is one that we keep circling back to time and time again. What does it actually mean to live like a faithful person? I mean, that's kind of what North Star is yeah. all about, like yeah. knowing that we have recovery, that we have recovery issues, knowing that we've got either codependency issues or eating issues or just compulsivity issues or uh, substance issues, that we have these issues. They maybe But we do the same ding-dang message every single weekend. <laughs> is that what a, you're saying? No, not really. I'm, we kind I, of are. I'm saying that. We keep cycling, um, I, in a good way, back to this idea of how do we craft a vision for a life of faith for people who who think they've got too many problems to be faithful. Yeah. Uh, because I think we end up with people who either are hopeless or are or are 
dishonest, or I, there's probably four or five other things as well that you and I just aren't seeing that somebody else would see. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> Which so is fascinating I, in yeah. and of itself. So I, I think it's a good thing to keep revisiting to say, here's another way of looking at this. Here's another way of looking at this. Here's another way of looking at this to help so that we can all uh, latch on to some vision of faithful life so, so that we know, um, so that we have something realistic to shoot for, so that we actually can reflect God in our lives rather than just wish we did, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I I think the other thing I think about it is I think a faithful life is such a restful and joyful life. Mm-hmm. I also think it requires a lot of deconstructing and reconstructing to get there. Yeah. Um, because I think it just is the, it's like bizarro world compared to the world we live in where we dream to achieve rather than position ourselves to receive. And, um, and yeah, so anyway, that was that was my message this week was about uh, looking at it from a little different perspective. Um, so draw us into that a little bit. That was all kind of a preface. So um, uh, you start. Are you starting with the passage? Is that where you want to start? No, I want to start with Eric Lydell. Okay. Yep. So Eric Lydell was a guy who could run really fast, and they made a movie about him called Chariots of Fire, mm-hmm. and he was a very faithful young man, and he came from a very religious family, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was his sister who was outraged that he was wasting all this time running because she wanted him to be a missionary because that's how she expressed how she believed the most faithful should express themselves. And so she was constantly on his case. And um, there's a quote in the movie that said, God made me fast, and when I run, I sense his pleasure, mm-hmm. which is something Eric was said in the movie, at least. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably no greater example than this, this point that I'm trying to make here, which is um, a faithful life. Uh, has to be about pleasure, like the sensing of God's pleasure in what we do and enjoying God because we see um, what a wonderful life he has set before us. So... um, At least it's a piece of it. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying it's the only piece. I think it also... it's a piece. uh, Yeah, I think that... Part of it is uh, related to the conversation we had about validation. Yes. Right? Like if you have a sense that God, um, I mean, I I think this is about God's love as much as it is about God's pleasure. I think like I would guess that, and you can, you can come, you can speak back into this if you disagree, but I I think that those are two related concepts, or at least they, they may even be synonymous, which is like sensing that God loves you is sort of sensing that God is... Uh, somehow pleased with you, right? Well, I'm reminded of uh, the the ver- you know when Jesus is baptized and God says, "This is my Son with whom I am well pleased." Right. And I hesitate to use the word pleasure because it has such a hedonistic connotation. I don't think it gets the um, gets to the to the depth of pleasure 
but I, I just just think just because a concept is hard to talk about doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. But this pleasure in terms of the way I'm talking about it is sort of a deep and profound joy. Mm-hmm. And um, not just like, hey, I'm really happy with not you. Not just faith is about like, I feel good because God feels good about me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's just, it's not that at all. It's It's something really deep and profound. And I think sort of, speaking into, in this particular message, the passage I used, which I'd like to go to now, unless you have anything else you want to say about that. No, I don't think so. Other than, yeah, like I think that, um, I think it's important to highlight how holistically you're using that term and how so much is drawn into it. It's love, pleasure, joy, acceptance. Like I think acceptance would be another key word to throw in there. Just a sense of security, you know, like, I'm not I'm not fighting for God's approval or anything. I know he I know I I know he is pleased with his creation of which I am part of. You and know, it's it's not some narcissistic mm-hmm. um performance driven word. And you and I talk about this a lot, but and I think it's really true, which is like and we we I I yeah, I hate to speak in such uh, black and white terms, but I don't think we can really be living faithful, free lives until we get a sense of that, what you're talking about. Like, I think the starting point is you must sense this uh, love, joy, acceptance, forgiveness, and faithfulness on God's part. You must sense that in in some way before you're able to then live a faithful, free life. And I would say that that has to be given to you, and you have to be willing to receive it. It's not something you can manuf- manufacture on your own, right? Which is what makes this such a difficult conversation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a it's a easy conversation for me to have because I have grandchildren, and I you know I think um, all my grandchildren examples get very tiring, but they can t- for others they're not at all tiring to me and. I can talk longer on this if anyone would like, but the the, the point for <laughs> me is... Special episode on grandchildren yeah, coming yeah. next week. <laughs> All the wonderful things my grandchildren did today, episode <laughs> 473. But the thing of it is, is that I think if... I think the the way a grandparent feels pleasure with their grandchildren is a very sacred feeling. It's different from being a parent in my experience, although I certainly enjoyed you guys and love you guys and all that stuff. Thank you. But there's no, um, it's just a different thing. And I think that it makes me feel at least that I have a little tiny bit better understanding of what God said when he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't worried about getting Jesus into USC, was he? He wasn't paying off a test taker. I mean, he, he this was his boy, and he was just really pleased with him mm-hmm. um, in, in the most sacred sense of the word. So anyway, all this conversation leads me to a different conversation, which is yet again trying to come to it and speak into this thing like, guys, you don't have to lie about who you are in front of God. 
nor do you have to keep trying so hard to convince yourself you're good enough for God to love you. And that took me to Matthew 18. And Matthew 18 says this. So Jesus was responding to his knucklehead disciples who were talking about who's greatest in the kingdom of God. Right. And so this is what he's saying to them. So obviously, you know, this isn't literal. Like you, so let me just say that and then let me, don't you want to just hear it? (laughs) (laughs) Let me shut up. So Jesus called over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and he said to these disciples who are all vying for position number one, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive the childlike on my account, it's the same as receiving me. Now, this is not to say that we're supposed to stay immature. That's not the point. But I think the point is closely related to the joy that children feel as they're discovering a world that is fresh and new and beautiful, and they get excited over the most amazing things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they get, or at least mine do, get incredibly excited uh, over baby goats. Um, and it's just this sort of like, new discovery of the world and how awesome it can be. Um, They get equally excited by blue chalk paint or the right-sized golf club to walk around with in their hands. They just get joy. And they are not at all self-conscious about their dependence on all of us. They ask things from us with great abandon. Because there's nothing shameful about being dependent. They don't have to have all the answers. Um, They just are childlike because they're children. And I just love this image so much uh, because I think the elements of being childlike are very, very sacred things. And we lose them. We, We lose sight of that. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the things that I always like to draw out is that in that um, in the society, uh, the one to which Jesus was speaking, children were largely a bur- considered a, more of a burden than anything right. else, which is a, sort of a very foreign idea to us. But they were they were low status. They were like not given. Um, you know, there was no 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 notion that children children are the future. Let's do everything we can to accommodate our children. Let's right. uh, have our whole worlds revolve around our children's schedules the way that we do now. It was sort of the total opposite of that. Like being like a child, hearing that would be so jarring uh, for that audience. Why right. would I be like a child? Yeah, they are a pain. Right. Um. They they can't contribute anything. They can't do anything. They're a drain on my resources. Yeah. Yeah. And um, which makes that point so interesting, right? Because, I mean, it's like they're a drain because they are so dependent. 
And yet that's what Jesus is talking about, yeah. you know, the importance of dependence. And it's sort of, in my mind, is almost connected um, to that, uh, to the idea of, of, of uh, when Jesus says, you know, the healthy don't need a, a doctor, the sick people do. Right. You know, but the sick people are the good people in that example. The people who are dependent right. on God for their well-being are the positive examples. Right. And not the people who aren't in need. Yeah. So, you know, you can just see right there that this idea that childlikeness has a has a air of humility about it, right? I have a need. I'm asking for help. Um, or that's what it should have and yeah. often doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, other theologians, um, I'm not calling myself a theologian. I'm just saying I read a lot of theologians on this passage recently. And a lot of theologians also talk about the fact that children don't silo people based on social status, um, which is an interesting little thought to think about. Um, so, again, it's just that topsy-turvy world of the kingdom of God that's, that says everywhere you go, people are in or out, up or down, this or that, but not in the kingdom of God. Right. And um, somebody did, and I do want to comment on this, somebody did um, point out or ask a question because in this particular passage of Scripture, it talks about the children uh, being of... A uh, higher rank, um, this child will rank high in God's kingdom. And so the person said, well, are you just telling me that there's a different ranking system? Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I would go that far at all with that passage. I think he's just, he's, he's using story to illustrate a point. He's not trying to um, set up a new world order with a hierarchical structure. It's think, about subverting expectations, yes. not telling you what the new hierarchy is. Right. So yeah. I just wanted to be clear about that, that this ranking is, is, it's not about that. It's about saying how you've ranked things is way off the mark. Yeah, it's about establishing what the new value system is, not about social class. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really simple, to me, just a really simple message of just saying, you know, how can we recognize our total reliance on God um, from a get-to, not have-to perspective? So one of the things that you did, you, you asked a question a second time this weekend, which was, where does God find pleasure with us? And I think people tend to react kind of strongly to questions like that. God's the creator. We're the created. A lot of people would say it doesn't matter whether or not he has pleasure in us and and things like that. But I think what that question does is it subverts some of our own distorted images of God. Mm -hmm. Um w One of those uh, distorted images being that like a life of faith doesn't have any pleasure right. and that, you know, there's, there's often this message that I, I remember, um, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I, I know we've talked about it in our messages that, 
that one of the messages that got sent to me as a child in, in Sunday school classes and the messages is that God always sends you to the last place you'd ever want to be. Yeah. Like it's never like... And that really stuck with you. Yeah. That, <laughs> that faith can never be pleasurable. If it's pleasurable, right. you're doing it wrong. Right. And I think that isn't quite right. And again, we're talking about pleasure holistically here. We're not just talking about good feelings, positive feelings, happy feelings. We're talking about love, joy, peace, acceptance, forgiveness, right. all of those right. things. Um, but that if you actually had a sense of joy about your faith, then like you were selfish somehow. Right. Or you'd or you'd miss the point. And I think that question for, forces us to consider, now how can we turn this into a joyful enterprise and not something that's just a slog? Right. You know, not, not something that's just difficult to get through. I mean, it actually kind of reminds me about a conversation you know, I, I've been working with a physical, with a personal trainer for right. a, um, a little while now um, to try to make sure that I can be around for the long haul. Um, and we keep going back and forth between doing exercises that I don't enjoy doing, but they force my body to grow in ways that I will need in order to be healthy and balancing that with things that I enjoy. Right. Uh, because part of getting me in there and doing the work is having some things in there that I actually like doing. Right. And so faith, it seems to me, and maturity and dependence uh, is also a kind of balance where some of the things that we do, we do because we need them and it's good for us, even though we may not like it. But then at the same time, we don't have to think that it's all about doing things we hate. Right. You know, that there can be a, a joyous sense of wonder. I think that's part of what you're you're trying to draw out as well in the examples of, of grandchildren and talking about childlikeness is a sense of wonder um, that 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 often is lost. And um so so yeah, I mean that's one of the things that's one of the things that I particularly appreciate about that question is like this isn't just a slog. There's joy to it, too. You're not doing it wrong to have a sense of joy um, about about trying to be a faithful person. Yeah, and I think, you know, like, um, I think what our, our physical trainers tell us is that um, I think the good ones that we work with say, you know, Here's an exercise that works your abs. Here's another one. Which one do you, which one are you going to be more faithful at doing? Right, <laughs> right. Uh, if I think all of them have a sense that if you give you a bunch of stuff that you just hate, uh, you're probably not going to keep it up. And I think that that's, you know, that there are definitely disciplines to the spirit filled life, and they call them disciplines for a reason. But you can also choose the ones that are more likely to get results. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Results not being like number of saved lives necessarily right. or something like that, but right. results in terms of getting you to be a loving human being that reflects God's love somehow. Well, Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu had this quote, which I think goes to that. Um, um, you know, like what is, thinking about what is the result. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, and it goes to the point of joy. It says, joy is a way of approaching the world. 
Our greatest joy is when we seek to do good for others, share generously, show compassion, turn towards others. This increases joy. And then here's his quote. That was my lead up to it. To be a reservoir of joy, an oasis of peace, a pool of serenity that can ripple out to all those around us. Mm-hmm. So to me, spiritual disciplines that feed that reservoir of peace, fruit of the spirit kind of stuff, that is an effective spiritual discipline yeah. that gives you the ripple out effect. But if you slog through your spiritual disciplines and do things a certain way because in 1986 you took a class and they said this is what good Christians do, Uh, you might just be bitter and swallowing a lot of aggression with a lot of pizza. So, you know, I just think that that idea of, no, this is is what can be there, um, that it's really important. Yep. So yeah, that was the message in a nutshell. <laughs> Along with 72 stories about my grandchildren that people had to endure. Um, well, there you go. I think that sounded like a closing statement to me, and I know that you have to run because you've got you've got places you've got to get to. You want to talk about where I'm going? It's a spiritual discipline. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go take a pottery class. A pottery class. I get to be the potter. Poor Clay is trying to endure me. That's right. Um, so you are probably um, hearing music at this point. Um, it is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. Uh, they can be found on the web at sessions.blue. Uh, if you need music for your own podcast or simply want to hear more, uh, we are North Star Community. We are found on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com. We currently have a campaign. Uh, going on in the Richmond area to get local businesses involved in what we're doing um, to battle the substance use crisis in all its forms. Um, And you can learn more about that at leadthewayrva.org. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.